Art is too important not to share. Welcome to the Allie and Callie Artcast. Hi, I'm Allie. And I'm Callie, and we're with the Coeur d'Alene Arts and Culture Alliance. Hello, everyone. Hello. I'm very excited that we are out of our regular studio. We are. We're in a lovely home. Yep. In Hayden. In Hayden. It's so pretty out here. We're going to tell you where we are in in a few minutes. We saw some deer. Yes, we did. It's a little snowy today. A little snowy. But it's pretty. It's beautiful. Blue skies. Yep. Nothing but blue skies. And it's it's all melted off the roads, which made me happy. Very happy. Yes. Yeah. It's the tail end. We're almost at spring. We're almost there. I mean, isn't the spring solstice? Didn't it just happen? March 21st? My anniversary was on the 21st. <gasps> happy anniversary! Thank you. 25 years of sheer marriage. <laughs> I like to use that phrase. That is my favorite <laughs> phrase of the year. 25 years of sheer marriage. 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 It's the, it's the pregnant <laughs> pause after the sheer that really gets you on that one. Well, Stu has been fabulous, and we, we had a great time in San Diego, and um, I bought my ring. <gasps> Remember that? Yes. When, when we bought our rings yes. for our 25th anniversary? So you let him know that that's your 25th anniversary yes, ring? that's my anniversary yeah, ring. Yeah, Kevin will find out later this year. <laughs> And then, and then, of course, we are going to Italy in a couple months. Yes. So we that's, keep hearing about this I know. upcoming Italy trip. I bet you can't wait till I'm gone, <laughs> till I'm there. No, I just wish I was going with you. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited. I can't stand it. I'm planning everything, so, but not to overplan it also. It's okay. I'm going to get you back um, after you get back. Because then you're I going be, to Portugal. Yeah, and then I'll be all, that's all I will want to talk know. about. I know. So there you go. Yeah. We're world travelers. World travelers. Well, anyway, we are in the studio yes. of Jeannie Higby, who yes. is a local artist and an author. And we're pretty excited to be here. Thank you for having us in your home, Jeannie. Oh, well, thank you for including me in your podcast. I always listen and it sounds like you're having so much fun. And now I see it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> it is fun. We Especially love- when we have a little champagne. I know. <laughs> We, our lovely, we also, uh, have an audience member here, we too. We do, yes. Susan Hagen yes. is here. But, but she doesn't want to speak. But she doesn't want to speak. So, so. But that's we, okay. She, she is a lovely guest. And she introduced us to Jeannie's book. Mm-hmm. She's the one who said, you must have Jeannie on. And we're like, we are so glad. I have read the book, The Violin, A Curious Tale of Lost and Found, Thief. Oh, I said that wrong. The Violin Thief, A Curious Tale of Lost and Found. I have had one sip of champagne. (laughs) I'm just saying. I love the book. It's a great book. Um, Tell us a little bit about the book. The book, I had one person say to me, um, you must just, everything in your life, did you feel like it was building to this book? Hmm. And I said, no, not really. But, (laughs) you know, if I think about it, there are so many bits and pieces in this book that were picked up along the way that shine into it. And so in a way it is, for example, probably the very first sound I remember consciously hearing was the sound of my dad's violin Mm. because he was Juilliard trained, but had decided that he didn't really want a concert performer's life and so he had gone on to be an aeronautical engineer but when we kids were put to bed he would practice his violin and that started when I was in my crib and I remember that 
And as I got a little older, I used to make up stories about what the music was saying to my sister. So there's all that piece of it. And then, um, oh, there's bits and pieces of characters we'll get to that, like my sister who proofread this generously for me about three times, she goes, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, that's so-and-so, you know. (laughs) Uh, Some of it I did consciously, some not. Mm -hmm. But um, I like to say the story is about exploring the complexities of the heart mm-hmm. and the grace of music. Mm. Um, there are characters who make choices from passion, ambition, jealousy, rivalry, and I try to look at them with a very compassionate heart, knowing that we all can rather self-justify. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a story that's also twined with history. and. I, I started writing a very simple story, actually. Well, I started writing a very simple story before that, which was based on an experience I had in college. The Cuban air crisis um, had just started. Mm-hmm. And I was in, a, in Athens, Georgia, my freshman year. And all the kids were going home because, you know, we might get might not be there the next day. My parents in Atlanta said, just stay put. So I'm about the only kid on campus (laughs) waiting for the the airstrike, you know. (laughs) But anyway, I was an art student, an art major. And um, we were in class one day and we had what they called art in the dark. And art in the dark, they had just a red light shining. And you stood on these big drawing boards two by two and you looked at a screen and they would... uh, the room was so darkened that you had a big fat charcoal and a chamois and you would start drawing the imagery that you saw whether it was sharp or edgy or multiple objects Um, and one time during that and I guess it was this cold war that brought it on someone in the room and there must have been 35 of us started singing where have all the flowers gone Mm-hmm. And the whole class picked up singing that, and it was so poignant. And I know the big door, you could see the light. The professors started looking in just because they, too, were just kind of taken by that passion coming out of the room. But I remember one day in that class, we had to go out into a field, and we had to catch an insect, and we were supposed to bring it in in a jar and draw it. And they gave you a chloroform ball when you got in, and they said to kill it. I wouldn't do it. I had a little praying mantis in there, and I wouldn't do it. And I started crying. And my professor said to me, you can leave class and don't come back until you grow up enough to come back. Oh, wow. Harsh. And I wrote a short story about that, and it's called uh, The Brown Moth. Well, anyway, the... Back to the future. (laughs) I'm writing a novel and it's based on an over-idealistic art student who gets kicked out of school because not only does she disobey the rules, but she also burns her bridges there. Mm. And she lives in New York. She's on her way home by train and she hears a violin play. Come dinner time, a gentleman who's a good 10 years older than she, carrying a violin case, and the tags read Cuba, sits down on the table across from her. And they exchange a few glances. And when he's finished with dinner, he says, I think I'm going into the bar car for an after-dinner drink. She thinks, I'm going into the bar car for an after-dinner drink, too. (laughs) So she starts to follow him. But as chance would have it, just as she gets into that rumbling space between cars, the train derails. Oh, no. But the car she's on doesn't turn over, but most of the train does. And as she finally releases the door to get out, he is there, 
to help her out. And they spend most of the evening together in a depot where they're waiting for the next train north. And he hears her on the phone with her mother and grandmother and knows it. the last thing she wants to do is go home to them and to go home disgraced as she is. They start telling each other in the, in the simplest of ways, in a sentence or two, their own sad tale, their own regret, their own shame, but just in the most simple way. And he says to her, um, I tell you what, he says, I'll make you an offer. He says, I know you don't want to go home. She says, okay, she'll jump at anything, you know, she's a little desperate. And he says, if you'll do a favor for me when we get to New York, I'll take you on my next search for violence. <laughs> at about this point, that character, who I was already in love with, turns to me and he says, Jeannie, you can't write this book because you don't know who I am. You don't know my story. You have to write my story first. Oh, right. That book was about a third done. I jump shifted to The Violin Thief mm-hmm. and it's his story. Oh, so that's Douglas. Oh, I love it. I love that. Oh, that gave me chills. <laughs> I love it. So that was going to be a fairly simple story about boys, um, ambition, passion, nepotism, love triangle. Pretty simple. And about that time, my father had passed, and it fell to me to see if his violin which he'd purchased in 1959. I think it was probably his 40th birthday or just about. Mm-hmm. And had come from New York. And we all, I thought it was more valuable than the house. <laughs> we never touched it. Oh, boy, it was not yeah, for us to touch. Yeah, do not touch. Mm-hmm. And if, but it fell to me because my mother was like your mother. She was going to live for a good long time. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's expensive as you get older and you need more and more assistance. <clears throat> so I... Um, fooled around on the internet and I found a company called Teresio that was international based in London, um, Berlin and um, New York. And they did a new thing which called online auctions. But you had to get your violin appraised. So I went through that process, went to the Sofitel Hotel in Beverly Hills and met with this fellow for an appraisal. And it turned out that the violin was in 1822 one of the very few built by a particular builder who happened to be the dentist for Victor Emmanuel in Italy. Oh, wow. Yes. I'll go to Italy. <laughs> yeah, you're going <laughs> to Italy. Bringing it back to Italy. Yes. <laughs> and, um, and so I let it out of my hands to go into auction. But what happened then was that because it was Teresio and I'm now a client of theirs, not only do I get to watch it on online auction, you can see people bidding on it. And for the first 28 days, well, I didn't even look that long. The first week, it only hit the reserve and didn't go any further. Mm-hmm. But that was still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And finally, it was, the auction was over. It was 30 days. And I went back online and the bidding had gone for the last 24 hours as boop, 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 until it had doubled over, <gasps> then doubled the reserve. Wow. Uh, which was crazy. Well, yeah. anyway, mm-hmm. but not only did that happen, which got me all interested in violins and why are they worth and what's the difference mm-hmm. between, and mm-hmm. um, I have access to Cozio, which is their online archive about everything stringed instruments, values, makers, history of, and I got excited and I started searching for the history of violins gone missing and never found. Right. Oh, cool. 
And because of the age that my character was, I knew that if he's going to be a kid when I start the story and I want a violin to come in, I knew I had to have one that went missing somewhere around 1940. And I didn't want it to be the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So I found one. But then I had to learn a little bit about it, right? I mean, right. I didn't know. It. I, I, just because I grew up with a dad who played violin and accompanied him, I didn't know anything about violin, <laughs> especially not how to play one or how to identify one. Anyway, so that started all that research. And then I needed to choose a setting, and that was the other really interesting thing. I wanted a setting that would be th- that you could commute to the city. I wanted New York, and I wanted a magnificent waterfall. And Callie, you know yes, why? I, I needed a waterfall. You gotta have it, right? Yep. And so I started looking on the map and looking around, and I found only one place that qualified, and that's Elizabethtown, New York, and the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. So I placed my story there, and I'm going to have it start in 1940-41. Okay, so I start whittling away at my manuscript, and it's a nice, kind of a simple little story. I don't know quite how I'm going to bring the violin yet. And my sister says to me, hey, did you read that book, Michael Rabin? He was a prodigy it, because I had all of my dad's library and I was reading all of, in a, about everything violins and I hadn't read it yet. So when I got to page 30, it knocked my socks off. And do you know why? He was from. Because it said Elizabethtown. Oh, wow. And the reason it said Elizabethtown is because there was a young prodigy who spent his summers there, a violin prodigy, and he was the same age as my character. Oh, my goodness. And not only that, but a very famous summer camp for violin students is located in Meadowmount, and it was founded exactly at the same time as my German professor came with the same idea. And so here I have history is mirroring my story. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, do I have to run away and make an, an invented town? Because <laughs> this is already going on, you it's know. Happening. And then I, yeah. And then the other alternative is, well, if they're in the same town, they're going to rub shoulders. They're going to know each other. They're going to be in competition one way or another, or friends or something. Mm-hmm. So then I had to research the town and all of that and all of those people. So I, there's a good five years behind this story. Um, Mm-hmm. And it has, you know, it has evolved as I have learned more things. Mm-hmm. So I had about, you know, four skipping stones for plot points. But all the stuff that happens in between kind of um, comes to you while you're writing. At least it does for me. Mm-hmm. The characters mm-hmm. start telling you what they what, what they want, what they think, and what they're going to do. So it was a great adventure. I loved the research as much as I loved writing it. I cried when certain things happened because I love my characters, but they say you have to be mean to your characters. <laughs> you have to make them have a hard time so it can be nice when they yeah. come through. <laughs> you have to have some conflict. Right. Yeah, so anyway. Hey, y'all. It's Jason from Tubbs Coffee Roasters. We are North Idaho's specialty coffee roaster. We are homegrown and we are local. We love coffee and we love our community, especially Allie and Callie in ArtCast. We have a retail space in our roastery in Hayden, and we can also be found on the shelves at Super One and Yolks. And if you like to buy coffee online, we do offer subscriptions. You can find us at tubscoffeeroasters.com. Support arts and culture and your local roaster. That's all. It's fun, even even the limited amount that I read um, to talk about uh, what has been happening. Because 
I'm somewhat aware. And then Callie helped fill in some gaps on the way over here. So mm-hmm. I feel like I... Yeah. You're up to speed more. Yeah. More. And I'll get, okay. I'll get it's through It's a long it. book. I mean, and you didn't, haven't had that long to read it. Yeah. It's not an easy book. It's... it's there's a lot of characters. There's a lot of and characters. I'm, I'm going to read it again because I think I'll I'll enjoy it more the second time. Yeah, because I and in the beginning it was hard for me to keep the characters in yeah. in my mind, right. even though it's there. But I was like, Whew, wait right. a minute. Who's and who, I have who's a question who? for you: Is Sister Peace Douglas's mother? Well, that's what the reader has to determine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I decided that early on, and then Callie and I were talking about it, and she kind of said I, I she be- thinks maybe. Yeah. I, I will so. tell you this. There is, um, there are some clues, because one of my favorite authors, and Susan's too, is um, Amar Tolls. And when he wrote A Gentleman in Moscow, he said he took a chance that a reader would stick with him. And he said he spent the first 50% of the book building it up and dropping clues. And then he runs away with the, gives you a plot. And I don't have that much faith in anybody who would read my book, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) But I did like dropping some clues. And if you read, and when you read it the second time, you will find those clues. I I, I actually I want to come back to that when you were um, I, there was a character and I can't even remember how he came into the story he's the Russian writer oh yeah Lermontov Lermontov and he has he Douglas asks you know I don't know who my parents are and then he writes this story this is who your parents are this is and I loved that oh. because I thought that was a quite a clue Mm-hmm. It and was. That is the biggest clue. It's a very thinly veiled story of what actually happened. And yes. Douglas doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't want to know it. And it's like poo-poo. But Lermontov says, shall I tell you a story, you poor wretched creature? You know, help pull you out of your cave of darkness. Let me tell you a story. And so he tells me exactly what went on. Exactly. Now, my sister asked me a question. She said, why did Sister Elder send him to Lermontov? I mean, to polish shoes, of course, and, and get out of trouble for the same. Right. But I hadn't thought if she had a, if she kind of sort of wanted him to, to tell. To learn. Uh-huh. You know, I ne- didn't anticipate that, but maybe she was actually in her subconscious. She just thought, this is the person who can tell him. Mm-hmm. Because if you go back to that story, there is a novelist that comes and keeps Sister Elder company when she's going through her travails and sees right. her to the hospital. So mm-hmm. maybe that's him. It is him. It is him. And okay, why do you think he has the penthouse of her hotel? Okay, because I was trying to figure out how... See, that's why I wanted to read it again, yeah. because I was like, well, how how does he come about and how does he know the story? Yeah. And I was like, oh, did I miss it? How did I miss it? Yeah. So well, it's, that's, it's very. Yeah. I love it, though. I love that because it was very low. Oh, it's just it's very full of a lot of information mm-hmm. and it, it got my brain working and I was really enticed to read more and as I was reading it I was like oh I have to remember that and then I wish I would have like highlighted things because <laughs> right. I was like remember this you want to remember this you know because I, oh. I tend to um, 
sometimes I read too fast and then I forget what I've read and that's a bad fault of my own. And so that's why I will read it again and then I will catch those things that I missed, which is why sometimes I watch movies twice because yeah, I, do too. Right. I forget right. you what know, I You're watch. so eager for the plot the yes. first time through with mm-hmm. a movie or a book. You just want to find out what's going to happen. Yeah. And then when you read it the second time, you get the author's nuance or yes. the actor's nuance. And yes. Mm-hmm. That Fun. was the other thing. I also love that the violin spoke mm-hmm. and it spoke in measures. You would get and I'm and I'm so glad that you told us about the brackets because I was I was prepared Did you know that? for that. Look, yeah, yeah see the how measures. all music starts with a bracket and then it's divided into measures. That's yeah. how I let the violin yeah. speak. Susan was saying that she didn't understand the music, uh, the violin two five three dash one or Muriel. Mm-hmm. It, she magic didn't, Muriel. Magic Muriel. How she spoke. And she's got these measure breaks or brackets, and as she speaks to Douglas, and it and it's it's like in his mind, but he hears it musically as a, in staffs, and it's just mm-hmm. it's really clever. Mm-hmm. I think it's very clever. Mm-hmm. As a musician, I I got it, but thank you. Right. Yeah, I I mean I don't know if everyone will, but I think musicians might, but it's just neat. I, I think yeah. it's clever. I, you know, I struggled with that. I wrote it a, several different ways. For formatting, because I didn't want it to look like conversation. It mm-hmm. isn't meant to be heard by anybody. It's not a person speaking. Right. It's a it's a vibrational communication. Mm-hmm. And I had read a book uh, that I just fell in love with. I don't think anybody else would like it. It's <laughs> called The Coward's Tale, and it's a Welsh story, and it's written in a very Welsh style of almost. Um, sing song Mm -hmm. not poetry like storytelling kind of thing Mm -hmm. and I adapted that to my violin speak because I it's an old creature I mean this thing is like two centuries old it doesn't it understands contemporary but it doesn't necessarily speak contemporary right so it's kind of a combination of music and that old and that Welsh storytelling Mm -hmm. style Mm -hmm. and a little bit biblical I guess so it is it is Mm -hmm. you know and like that but um well there's so many wise I like there. There was another. I, I dog-eared a couple of things. There, the family that Douglas has. He says when later in the in the book when he he's becomes crow, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the characters asks, "What? Tell me again about your family." And he says, "I I grew up raised by five aunts and three uncles with no clear mother or father." Um, about the men and then he talks about all the men in his life and he I love Wing such a great character Um, he's the was he is he Chinese yeah Chinese um, uh, and he's married to a Swedish woman and just he's so um, he's probably one of my favorite characters because he's so wise and just has great insight and just kind of a a muse for him. I just feel like he has so many muses that he doesn't realize that until later in life that they were guiding me, mm-hmm. you know, in their own way. Kind so, of like parental figures. Yes. And 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 the other one, um, I don't know how to say Gato. it. Gato. Yeah. Gato. And then, is it Siazzo? Mm-hmm. Is that? Oh, Siazzo. Siazzo. Yeah. The other teacher who was brilliant and, and really taught him how to play and listen and enjoy the music before he would even let him play. And mm-hmm. then he feels like he betrayed him when he goes back to, to Stoya. And uh, I, it's, I just love that, that, there, you know, you don't always, you know, your family isn't always born to you. You, 
you find the family around you. That, right. that was also really great. And there's, right. a, there's a place close to where you are where Gatto says, um, take from each the gift that they gave you. Yeah. You are luckier than most sons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, Auntie, Auntie Evangeline was like an Auntie Mame to him. Yeah. She taught him to be a little adult. You know, speak up. Don't be a, don't be a kid. If you don't like something, let's talk about it. Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And he got to light her cigarette, which is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> and she served him cream de mint with oodles and oodles of cream. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, she, she was fun. Yeah. Right. But, and then Wing, you know, drew him a little Antenna avatar. Mm-hmm. And one of my friends pointed out to me, she said, your dad was a pen and ink illustrator. And he drew cartoons, too. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, that's... so Wing seemed kind of familiar to me because uh-huh. that's so... Mm-hmm. sweet and pleasant to have someone sitting and drawing making magic happen on the paper and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah there were so many yeah the great touches I love that and then there was something else I wanted to bring up that I was like well there's so much atonement and uh, and kindness and courage and then a lot of tragedy happens and in, in the falls and and happens to Douglas but then it there's positive who knows where it goes to the next book (laughs) to the next book (laughs) I like I feel that one of the reasons I wrote the book is that one of my mantras is although we may all be battered by life there's one gift we can give continue to give and that is kindness Mm mm-hmm yeah. And that is the bottom line of the book. It's like, as much as you struggle, as much as you're in pain, as much as you're imperfect, you can still be kind to others. And right. I think that's something, I didn't write this book to big, put a big message out there. Sure. I just wrote it because that's the story that came to me. And right. it was, you know, like say every novel or every painting is a self-portrait. Mm-hmm. And I think the book is in that way that it, it's, I'm not trying to uh, titillize people with suspense, although there is suspense, mm-hmm. or with mystery, but I, one person said to me, it's actually a mystery. I'm not trying to um, make a crime novel, you know, that you just mm-hmm. go, like want to flip through, it's like, oh, that's horrible, I'm excited. <laughs> right. you know, I'm really trying to put something pure in a, in a certain sense into the world mm-hmm. to reflect on, mm-hmm. right? And that's who I am at this point in my life, is like... Why can't we just be nice to each other? Yeah, right. Can't we just get along? <laughs> right, yeah. So. What was also nice is I I will say as a as a musician, I every music music piece you put in there, I put on as I was reading it. If Douglas was playing it, I put oh, it on. Oh, that's fabulous. And it. It was great because I could understand, you know, when you would say the the staccato of this, and then I could hear it in the music and go, oh, I, I can hear him playing this. So it helped me so much Thank to you. have that in the background. I, I kind of want that in all books now. Mm-hmm. Like, if there's music to be played, tell me what music they're playing so I can really feel that person and that character. And that that was just, what a nice touch. Thanks for being mm-hmm. such a close reader. Um, I have had, a, had other people who told me that they didn't know anything about classical music, but it was such a nice entree to them and they'd go listen to it and then they could get a sense of like having this little mini education about music. Mm -hmm. It wasn't too painful, you know, to learn about classical music. What was great is I knew actually some of them. I bet you did. Which was awesome. And then there Mm -hmm. were some that I didn't know that I was just, I fell in love with and now they're on my my playlist. So (laughs) I'm very excited about that. Yeah. And you noticed, of course, that I made a a whole list of the pieces. There are over 40. And then I put them on Spotify so that people can go and listen along with the book on Spotify if they happen to be 
you know, able Which to I get have that. downloaded to my Spotify account. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I don't have Spotify. Plug for Spotify. Ding ding Spotify. Well, Jeannie, I wanna I wanna you know, uh Callie and I were privileged enough to be invited to the um your book club. Oh, right. And got to listen to you um, speak about another book and do a little book review. And it's amazing the insight that you that was uh, have. Um, West for giraffes. Yes. Right? And West, for, yes. West with giraffes. With giraffes. I know. I definitely By Linda Relich. That yes. All, yes. All, this summer. This summer is going to be a I started books. it. I love it. <laughs> I love it already. Yay. Yeah, that's great. Good. Anyway, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about your background and what brought you to, you know, just this ability to find such meaning in the written word. That's an interesting question. I, um, that's a good question. (laughs) And you know, I can talk a while. (laughs) But um, I was read to as a child. And I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, my father read to my sister and I, and he read us classics and things well beyond our years. Um, but And he didn't explain them. He just read them. And it kind of soaks in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read for myself. And I know that we talked about last time that I was a very passionate child. I wanted to play the piano. I wanted to dance ballet, you know, and I <laughs> wanted to draw. But so one of the uh, Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales that just sticks with me is the red shoes. Mm-hmm. Because it's that, you know, the shoes themselves are dancing her because it's the art form that's pulling you along. And so when I write, I like to write about characters that are just like so passionate about what they think or they want. Um, but the other two books that I just thought about after we had our conversation, one was Heidi and the other was The Secret Garden. And I thought, mm. why? Why do those stick in my mind? Mm. And then the other one that I read in the past 10 years was The Samurai's Garden. Those three books are about the power of kindness and nature. And I, that, because those things go into your brain and that becomes who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was... Um, an engineer and an artist and a musician and an athlete and he was very analytical and I think that I have an analytical brain like he does and I like to think about why things work Mm -hmm. and I like to think about words and why they work and one of my favorite books was a thesaurus and I would read it like candy I I loved words and how they could fit together and make meanings and that's just something that I am or have been um, I wrote my first novel when I was in the fifth grade. <clears throat> and I still have it, actually. <laughs> it's on, you know, it's very faded, but it's on newsprint, written with a not very sharp number two pencil. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, I was in the fifth grade in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was really hot in the spring. And my teacher, Miss Ms. Smith, who had a big red blade braids coiled behind her head, and she liked to take an afternoon break. And that partic- and come back clinking her iced tea, and we were all sweating it out in the room. <laughs> but um, that particular spring, she let me hold class and read my novel chapter by chapter each day to the class. Um, hmm. 
So it kind of became just, I guess when you get enough maybe a praise or attention for something you do, it also propels it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I used to listen to songs on the radio, and I loved the words. And so I kept a notebook where I'd write the words of songs. But if you know you hear it once, you can't get all the words every time. Right. So every time it came on, I'm quickly to continue writing my words. So it's always like how words and meaning and music fit together. Um, I when I was time for me to go to college, I was desperately torn because I didn't know one. I want to be a literature major or an art major or a music major. Mm-hmm. And I decided I wasn't good enough at music to be a music major. I just loved it, but I couldn't imagine having a career in it, really. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'd taken piano from about 5 to 15, and I took some piano classes at UCLA. Um, anyway, but I, so I was an art major and a literature minor. And the... You know, you're taught to analyze literature. There's a lot of poetry that we had to analyze it. But I remember one paper I turned in, and the professor asked me to come up afterwards. And he says, um, he says, I'm going to give you an A. I would have given you an A plus if given me your sources. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean? He says, your references. Where did you get, where was your reference to your analysis? I didn't know you could do that. I thought you had to figure it out yourself. <laughs> Me, myself, and I. <laughs> I said I didn't have any references. <laughs> oh. That's hilarious. Did you get the A plus? He should have given remember. you. He should have given you an A plus. He says, he says well, it, he says you should have given a few more examples. Oh. oh. Anyway, but you know, it's like that's just kind of who I am, I guess. Then when we moved here, we had moved from Southern California and I belonged to a book club where nobody really knew how to talk about a book for more than 10 minutes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I joined them, you know, I was always the one who would kind of like prod the conversation, not by talking about it, but by asking the questions. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I found I really enjoyed, you know, help people dig into books. <clears throat> but then I came here, I knew my parents because we'd moved here to kind of help out in their old age Mm -hmm. and I had one friend who lived in Coeur d'Alene who'd come from California Um, but I found book group I found the Three C's book group and I found my kindred spirits there and so that was in 2005 and what Three C's book group does is have for nine months they have a scholar or professor come and talk about the book that we're reading and lead you in discussion. And I know I learned a heck of a lot from these um, people who came and led those discussions. Mm-hmm. It was like taking, kind of like taking a college course in how yeah. to talk about a book. Right. So, and then at the same time, I met Terry Lee's entourage at Art in the Making mm, in yes. 2005. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. in those days, in those days, he sure did. Mm-hmm. Because, <laughs> because, um, I asked one of the gals at the break, I said, do you guys have a place where you get together and you do um, live drawing at all regularly? Yeah, every Monday night. And I said, really? And that's, I joined Terry Lee's thing. And I went like church every Monday night to Mm -hmm. drawing Mm -hmm. and painting, drawing and painting. I did that for 15, 16 years till I became really involved with taking care of my parents. And... um, uh, so I have found community when yeah. I came here, mm-hmm. and I feel really fed and vital with the p- creative people I've found here. Yay! Yeah. So, and we're in your studio, and your art is beautiful. Oh yeah! I mean, you have everything from it's kind of impressionistic to little—I f- would say almost 
fantasy and beautiful mm-hmm. colors and oh yeah i i don't know are you anywhere else can they buy your art anywhere Jeannie? Um, no, no. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because I've never really tried to promote myself. Art is uh, not that I wouldn't like to sell it. Of course, I'd love to be in a gallery. You mm-hmm. know, I kind of have my eye on a couple here that I, you know, might go out to, <laughs> come out to. Everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I would love to sell it because it's an expensive hobby. And, and it I'm, is. I'm in oh. retirement. I need something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I have hundreds of paintings because, I mean, when I'm in writing mode, I write about three to four hours a day and I paint three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because they cross feed each other, you know, one one kind of creativity then reinforces the other. Mm-hmm. And I had one gal say to me, when do you clean your toilets? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want have to time do. to get them dirty. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said, I have a that. husband. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> no, I have That's to credit sweet. my husband for um, supporting all of this time and energy that I put to creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when he, he bought the house, I didn't, and I hate it. And he says, here's where I thought you could paint. And I said, I didn't want to be in a daylight base, but I wanted to be in the top. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm such a brat. You know. He says, well, we can put lights in. We can do whatever you want. And, and he, by golly, he did. You oh, know, yeah. and it's, it's a fabulous big space. Oh, and it is. A, it is. A, it really it's is. bright and cheery. Yeah, the sun too. is shining in right now. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's awesome. So I have track lighting around my easel that I have display lighting. I mean, what could more I know, could it's pretty want, awesome. Right? My studio's outside, and it gets pretty darn chilly. So <laughs> I'm a little jealous. But I have, I have uh, participated in the studio tours, but mm-hmm. both two or three times, but I've been with Kyle Pagliacci, right. Oh, right. who generously opened his space to me. I um, Yes, I, I remember the f- year that you were on that I was working the studio tour. Mm-hmm. You had brought the bus that year, remember? Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, I was in his studio at that point. Yes. I remember that. That was the year that you, I thought it was so wonderful that you had planned the square. The little, the little format, Little paintings mm-hmm. that everybody yep. was going to do. We'll do those again. That was such a great thing. I hope you continue that. Yep. We're doing those well, again. We're doing little pieces. Little pieces. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yes. Hey ladies, have you heard about Nia yet? Hi, I'm Marilee Wallace and I'm a proud board member of the Coeur d'Alene Arts and Culture Alliance and owner of Nia. That's short for the North Idaho Alliance. We specialize in leadership development specifically focused in connecting women to programs, workshops, and networking to educate, empower, and enrich their lives. Our goal is to make positive impacts in the community while helping other women in North Idaho succeed. Next up is our annual Onward and Upwards Women's Conference set for May 24th and our new event, Women with Cool Jobs, scheduled for early summer. And then keep a lookout to register for our super popular Women of Impact Leadership Roundtable Series. That begins every September. So I hope you'll look us up. We're at thenorthidahoalliance.com. Find us on Facebook or just give us a call, 208-660-1557. Go out and make it an impactful day. Well, we're at Moose House, my book now, and um, it comes spring. I'll be doing an author event there. Oh, perfect. And Angie's in uh, Spokane will have my book, and I'm hoping that I'll have an author event there. 
I also am going to reach out to Northwest Passages uh, in Spokane as possibility of being and having an author speak there so nice. you may see me out and around good, good. If so come by and say hi and <laughs> yeah and, and when we and and let me let me just remind you to go to the arts and culture alliance website we have a really user-friendly calendar and when you have book readings or book events please put them on the calendar yeah. so people will promote it yeah and thank when, you. When will your next book be out? When are you going to finish the 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 one that you started that you had to stop and do this? <laughs> That's a really good question. But its its title started out to be a Sola Lost, mm. but now it's called uh, To Save a Thief. Ooh! Oh, I, I got a chill. And <laughs> that's a good sign. And the um, the subtitle on this, A Curious Case of Lost and Found, mm-hmm. I wanted to bring the flavor to it that, you know, there's like the curious tale of Benjamin Button. Right. Yes. I mean, there's something that requires the imagination here, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. Pinocchio, like a fairy tale. It's real, but the, yet there's something like a Isabella Yendi. In fact, I was so flattered to have my writing compared to Isabella Yendi mm-hmm. in one editorial review. But there's something that requires the imagination. It's like something that could be true. Like, you know, we all say, what if what if these walls, what would what this house say? What would know, the what walls, these walls right, say? Yeah. Or I wish I could have been that guy's baseball mitt, you know, the stories it could tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all say, what if a violin could talk? Mm-hmm. Uh, what has it seen? Where has it been? So it's like this, co- this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like, why isn't it possible maybe that something um, has uh, sentience that we don't even, aren't even aware of, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So in the second book, you know, I don't know really how that's going to come in, but I know that it will not in the same way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's something kind of fun to bring you into another layer of conversation. Yeah. I love it. It I sounds love that. I'll be ready. Yep. I'm <laughs> ready. You. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. This was great. Yeah, I know. Jeannie, thank you so much for letting us in your home and talking all about this this book and your life and you're a great review. You should be a teacher. Uh, right. You'd be an excellent teacher. I was not a teacher. But you should be. <laughs> you work really good, at, you know, explaining and, and uh, you're you're very articulate and, um, well, I thank love you. Engaging. Engaging. And, yeah. And you, you well, inspire you. us to want to know more. And I love that. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time to really look at people who otherwise might not even be appear to the public. So... Oh. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's what we love to do. That's right. We're here to promote. We are. Jeannie Higby's book. Jeannie Higby's book, The a Violin, Violin Thief. Thief. Where to get it? And you can get it. Well, how, how do you get it, Jeannie? You can get What's it um, at the Well Read Moose. You can yes. get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. Oh, yeah. I love Barnes & Noble. Can you Noble. order it on your website? Yes. Yes. yes, and that is... Uh, well, I should say there's a link to Amazon on my website. Oh, okay. okay. There you go. And, and our website, website is com. There you go. I had to do, I had to do the... Can't see. <laughs> Jeannie Higby Art. Jeannie Higby dash art dot com. That's it. Perfect. Yes, well, thank you. thank you again. Yes. Thank you, Susan, for bringing us bringing the book to our attention. Yes. And oh, Woo-hoo. excellent! <laughs> All right. Woo! Thank We're you. We're gonna go pop a cork, and I'm Allie, <laughs> and I'm Callie, and whatever you do today, read a book and be creative. 
The Allie and Kelly Artcast is a program of the Coeur d'Alene Arts and Culture Alliance and is sponsored by NIA, North Idaho Alliance, a woman-based leadership organization designed to inspire, uplift, and impact your community and lives. And Tubbs Coffee Roasters, globally sourced, locally roasted coffee.